Welcome to Growing Empowered Eaters. I'm your host, Ahuva Magda Hirschkop, mom of three, registered dietitian, and women's empowerment coach. I work with women around the world to support them in reclaiming their power, tapping back into their intuition, and harnessing the true power of the dinner table to raise empowered humans. Want to find out how? Listen along, and you'll be sure to learn. On today's episode, I am joined by the incredible Maggie Reyes. Maggie Reyes is a life and relationship coach and helps type A women have better marriages without waiting for their partner to do something and without adding more work to their already jam-packed lives. Before she started her coaching practice, she worked in human resources for over a decade and has been coaching and mentoring, talking people off ledges in one form or another for years. She's clocked over 2,000 hours of coaching her clients on marriages, careers, desires, frustrations, and help them with everything from bad bosses, anxiety, sexual frustrations, to improperly loaded dishwashers, and what happens when you wash a hockey shirt with a silk blouse, to your blouse, and to your marriage. I am so excited to be joined by Maggie today for what was an incredible conversation, so can't wait to get started. Hello, thank you for joining me today. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Um, so I am joined by the incredible Maggie Reyes. Um, Maggie, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, all the amazing things that you do, and we'll go from there. Oh my gosh. So my name is Maggie Reyes. I am a marriage life coach. I help type A women have better marriages and people always ask me, what does that mean? I'm like, if you're the type of person who writes something on your checklist that you've already done just for the joy of crossing it out. You're my I'm sorry. Do, are there people who don't understand what the word type A means? Because I am not them, nor do I know them. So fun, right? Um, so a lot of times when we're driven and we're focused and we're checklist type people, yeah. um, some of the things that make us successful in life um, become challenges at home. So I help people figure that out. Oh my God. There's like so many places that my mind is going already. Cause I'm like, yeah, that checks out. I hear that. <laughs> yeah. How if people are like, what do you mean? I like, that doesn't yeah. impact me at home. It makes me better at managing my home. What is that? Can you give us like some examples? Yeah, totally. What that looks like? So I work with a lot of women who are either professionals or business owners. So, and if, and for some reason, a lot of STEM, like engineers and doctors yeah. and nurses, people in roles where when you make a mistake, it's like the bridge could fall. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have to get it right. Or, you know, if you're a doctor and it's like someone could be injured or if you give the wrong medicine or something. Yeah. And so precision and being exact is really important. But yeah. then when you go home, you don't really need to argue about the steak sauce. Right. Right. And so it's that kind of vibe is one thing. And another thing is uh, women in leadership positions and, and, you know, I understand my best client because I am them. Um, we're used to, if we've been in a situation where we have direct reports or we have subordinates, people that report to us, we're used to asking for things in a particular way, exactly the way we want it. And then yeah. people do exactly that. Yeah. And then we go home and we try that on our partners who like, they don't report to us. <laughs> right. And so it's like the difference between this collaboration and, and what is appropriate in one context and useful and necessary. Like, I want all the engineers to measure all the bridges twice. It's good. Right. You're like, I'm not driving over that bridge. Unless yeah, I, I'm good with that. But yeah. then at home, how do you switch contexts 
and think about what you want the culture, because I used to work in human resources, I think about what a marriage culture or a relationship culture could be. What do you want that culture to be? So interesting that you say that because, I mean, I work with super moms who want to take off the cape. But, Ooh, I like that. But yes. I also come, my, my background, my training, my like, you know, professionally is registered dietitian and all that I talk about it, you know, in that context is what do you want the food culture to be in your home? Right. Oh like, I think goodness. that we, so that we yeah. don't often pay enough attention to the fact that, that every action that we take or the way that we frame things is building that culture. Yes. And yes. also that it's yes. in a marriage that it's two people who have been raised in a specific culture, right? Even yes. if you are quote unquote, com- like, you know, I'm Jewish, like Eastern European. My husband is Jewish, Eastern Europe, like your know, background. Yeah. We have very different. We, we Still very different, different. Right? Yes. 100%. My husband is Nicaraguan American yeah. and I'm Cuban American. So we're yeah. like of the quote unquote Latin culture. Exactly. Yeah. But vastly different, totally. like home cultures. I grew up with a single mom, very different thing. He has two other brothers and it's just a completely different way that we grew up. And so it's like now we have to decide on purpose. Yeah. What do we want? our food culture, our marriage culture, yeah. what do we want that to be like? And often, unless you're listening to life coaches like us on a program like this, it's something that never crosses your mind. No, no. We just sort of like go and go and go. But I love that you're sort of bringing that up. Like your partner doesn't necessarily report to you. Cause I think that's something that so many of my clients would relate to, especially in, in like the motherhood, right? Like, does it matter if you stand over your, your partner and like, they change the diaper exactly how you would do it in the exact scenario, right? Like bath time. Like there are so many times, even personally, where I have to be like, I'm just going to cover my ears and I'm going to close my eyes. I'm like, if the kids end up in bed and I didn't have to do it, I'm going to say, thank you very much, but it's killing me inside. Yeah. So we should talk. Um, so, so the thing is that even at work and work situations, we have to learn how to delegate. Yeah. Like learning how to delegate is something that can just mess up your career progression, can mess up the growth of a business if you're in a business and will for sure uh, mess up a relationship Mm -hmm. because there's this element of letting go of, of letting the person do it however they would do it and letting that be fine. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, are we all alive? Do we have all our fingers and all our toes? Like at the end of the day, yeah. <laughs> right? that's totally. the main thing. And, and I think that that idea of learning to let go of what it looks like and just focusing on the essence of what you want takes practice. It takes um, dealing with the uncomfortable emotion of the letting go of it all. Yeah. And I think you and I both have that in common. Where I'm sure the people listening to us can identify with this where we want to control a lot of things. Oh yeah. We want to I love nothing more than like having full things. control of a situation. And I'm like, ah. it's my time to shine. Right. And, and it never happens. <laughs> right. And then it's like that, that learning to let go of the control yeah. and also really understanding the way I see it is whenever we have that urge, it's almost like a compulsion. Yeah. Um, to control something or a person or a situation or an outcome for us internally, it's always a quest for safety. We always think we're going to feel better if it's the way we would do it. Yeah. And when we just become present to our deep desire for safety, we can loosen the grip on like, 
What if I'm safe and this is done differently? And those two things are not dependent on each other. Totally. So what I talk to my people a lot about is, you know, taking off the cape allows you to actually build a life and excel at the things that matter to you. Right. Okay. And it can't be all the things. Yes. That's just like, you know, you can't be like, my husband's a lawyer. I always say like, if you judge me by how well I would show up in court, like, I'm always like, I can't even be on a jury. Like I've seen mm-hmm. CSI. They always kill the jury people. Like I'm like, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm not here. Like, and, and he's like, you're the most ridiculous human because like, that's not a thing, but like, but I can't. Right. So if I judge myself all the time by how well I performed as a lawyer every day, like that feels mm-hmm. really silly. And yet so often we all want to do all of the things and control all of, and everything then feels like it's a life or death situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I'm hearing you talk about safety and safety and how somebody else is doing something, I'm also like, and there's also the safety you have to cultivate that like, it might not look how, you know, everyone else does it. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's like a really big hurdle in, in building a life that you connect with. Maybe you're going to have to put down that thing that, you know, like I'm using air quotes, but everybody else seems to care a hell of a lot about. And you're like, actually, that's not even really important to me, but I'm holding on so strongly to it. Yeah. Forget about how it looks and focus on how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. All the time. Yeah. Okay. We have to talk about the cape situation because I love superheroes Okay. and I love Superman yeah. And all the iterations. Well, not all the iterations of Superman, but in general, just the idea of the Superman. And my husband and I were watching um, the most recent Superman show. Yeah. And I turned to him and I said, I've always liked Clark Kent more than I like Superman. Yeah. And so you were thinking without the cape, we must discuss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. First of all, like my son is obsessed with, he's five. He's obsessed with Spider-Man. He's obsessed with all things superheroes. Okay. Um, so we're like deep into like I can I can sing off by heart like the 80s Spider-Man theme song so like we're we're like love it um (laughs) but yeah I think that it's almost like this to me when I talk about you know taking off the cape it's both I think this persona that so many women feel like they have to put on right it's like that still sort of idea of like if you're not run ragged if you're not running around putting out fires if you're not like taking one for the team and like being the like who do you call you know whenever anything is happening if you're not that person to all people you haven't sort of like earned your keep as a woman as a mother as like this this sort of like representative that we have and also I think there's a safety in that cape for the for the people who are wearing it a hundred percent so when we're socialized as women we're given these messages right that we should be able to do it all yeah. And then we judge ourselves when we can't because we're human. And I think it's important to just call that out. It's like, okay. it's not your imagination. It's the way our culture yeah. talks to us, tells us what, what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing, what's okay, what's not okay. And then we internalize those messages. And then we get really, really sometimes frustrated, sometimes angry, sometimes resentful, yeah. and sometimes despondent. Like, I can't do all these things. And what's wrong yeah. with me? As opposed yeah. to you should never have been tasked with all these things. Totally. Nothing is wrong with you. But the self-trust piece, so I work yeah. a lot on self-trust, is... Yeah taking off the cape and saying yeah. like, there are going to be things that I'm going to put down and some people might be disappointed or even like, you know, think that I'm wrong or think that I should be whatever people are going to have thoughts about this situation potentially. Yes. And that's not my business. Yes. Um, yes. It's a really, really scary thing for a lot of, of people who have, especially 
or, you know, I tend to sort of to work with high achieving women also when you've yeah. been like, I'm going to give my career a hundred, like a hundred percent. And I'm going to give this a hundred percent. And especially for people who end up then, you know, if they do desire to go on to have kids, like suddenly that whole dynamic changes also, right. You can't give everything 150% all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just not, it's not humanly possible, but be, having to actually sit down and say, okay, here's all of these messages of what I'm getting that should be important to me. Mm-hmm. And I trust myself enough to be able to filter and be like, actually, like, I don't care about that one. And so I'm, I'm going to put it down, even if I've been socialized for so long that it is in, like, it should be in my wheelhouse. I'm just going to say it's not. Yeah. So important. Yeah. The, the struggle is real. The struggle is real, especially, you know, for even like, I have one client who something that she was saying to me was like, you know, her husband wanted to get up with the baby in the middle of the night. And she was like, you shouldn't have to do. And she's fully like, she said, these words came out of her mouth. And she was like, I can't believe that I said this to a part. Like you shouldn't have to do that. I'm the mother. And he was, oh, like, and her, yeah. and her partner was like, it's the 21st century. Yes. And she was like, I can't even believe that. Like, like after doing this work for other people, right. Even for yes. people who will say, I mean, in the last week, we've had to say lots of things yeah. um, about, you know, the state of the world, but for people who will sort of do this work for other people, somehow it still ends up so, you know, ingrained and entrenched when it shows up in their own lives. Absolutely. Like I, you know, I'm a life coach. I teach these things and I'm constantly telling my clients and sharing about how I have to do all the things I'm teaching. Like I'm not exempt from the human experience just because I have a tool. I use the tools, the different tools that I, that I teach and stuff, but it's like, I got to use them all the time. (laughs) And that internalization is like, that's the part that it's so insidious. We don't even know we have it. We don't even know it's like in us. Right. We have those little moments of like lucidity. We're like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm thinking is okay. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. 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 Totally. And it sometimes like, it, it like hits you like a ton of bricks when you're like, mm-hmm. oh man, that, I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing that I still experienced. Yeah. And sometimes we just have to call out, this is the ocean we swim in. Yeah. And when we have those thoughts, it's not an excuse to berate yourself for having the thought either, because I know that's where some people's minds goes. It's just like, oh, I was socialized to believe this thought. Yeah. And just like I was taught to believe it, I can be taught to unbelieve it. Totally. Totally. What are some of those, I don't know if there is even for you, for your people, um, like those most common beliefs, maybe that people are going into a partnership with that they don't even like realize? I mean, there's a variety of them. I think if I was just going to say something off the top of my head, something that comes up often, which I think is almost like an umbrella for so many of them. Yeah. It's this idea about taking up space. Ooh, yeah. Like in some way, it's not safe to take up space. Yeah. And so we edit or suppress our desires, things we want, things that are important to us, things that are, that we value, things like rest. Like if it was safe to take up space, she would just honor her own rest in the example that you gave. But there's so many other places where if I was going to zoom all the way out and say like, would all of them fall under? And not all of them, but a big chunk. I would say this idea that we can't take up space, so we don't. Mm -hmm. 
And then the reality of the society in which most of the people listening to us grew up in, in sort of our Western industrialized culture, where it's actual factual, factually true that there are places and spaces where it's not safe to take up space. Totally. Where speaking up, you know, a man speaks up and he's a leader and a woman speaks up and she's a bitch, right? Like that is a, because I worked in HR, you know, yeah, I had stuff yeah. like that happen all the time. Yeah. And I literally, I mean, I'm 48 years old. I'm a pretty modern, you know, generation of being alive. It's not like my grandmother's generation. Yeah. And even in my own work, I'll always remember um, I was in a meeting a few years ago with a gentleman who, well, I'm going to call him a gentleman, with a man who was not <laughs> a gentleman, um, who was French, yeah. working in the U.S., nothing against French people, this was just one French dude, but just to show you that it's like pervasive in like Western industrialized culture, no matter where yeah. you're coming from, and I was sitting with my boss and him in a meeting where I was the person who was the subject matter expert of the thing we were talking about. Yeah. And he directed every, and my boss was also a woman and he directed every question to my boss and I would say something and then he would ask her and then I would say something else and then he would ask her. And I remember leaving that meeting like, what just happened? What like, and that's like the socialization hierarchical socialization yeah. um i'm sure had there been a man in the room he would have just ignored my boss completely and totally. gone to the man like it was such a thing that i i just will never forget that experience because it was so blatant yeah and so of course we're afraid to take up space of course we're, we're, when we're treated like we're invisible in so many places i'm you know i always tell people i'm cuban-american and i'm a leo and i am like loud and proud right so for someone to ignore me i'm like i think you must be mistaken yeah you're like i don't know why you thought that, <laughs> that was gonna be i don't know so anyway to tell everybody the end of that story so my boss had a conversation with him i don't know what they discussed i never found out all i know is the next day that man sent me flowers <laughs> and i was like you know what flowers are not gonna cut it treat me like a human yeah, you're like, this still wasn't the, the appropriate response. Like, we're going to again. We're going to move on. But I just give you that example of a very real, my own lived experience of, of course, we live in a society where taking up any kind of space yeah. in so many different facets creates, um, you don't get promoted, you don't get raises, you don't get like all of these different things in work life. And then men are socialized to believe some of these things too, where it's not even that they would want to believe these things. Like, this is what they're taught. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's actually like, so I'm Orthodox Jewish. Um, and so like we keep Sabbath, like we do the whole thing. And there's like, there's two songs, actually. I don't know if you ever heard, like, there's two songs that you sing every Friday night. And one welcomes in the Sabbath. And the other is it's called, it's a song, the, the, the words are Eshet Chayel, which is a woman of valor. Right. Ooh. And part of it is supposed to talk about like welcoming in the Sabbath because we talk about whatever Sabbath in, in the feminine. Um, but also it very much paints a picture of who is a woman of valor. And you can you can look up, you know, the lyrics, yeah. to it, but it's basically like a woman who works her ass off. Like oh. it's all of these things. Who is this person? And whatever it goes through characteristics, but also it's and I think that there's there's beauty in it as it's like who it like a person who shows up in certain ways. Mm -hmm. But I think that it was written at a time where there was 
very much the, the strong, you know, patriarchal structures of who she goes to the field and brings the food and this and that. And like, there's been a lot of, you know, it's still nice in theory to sing a song every single, you know, if you like, if you are in a household where there, where there is like a woman or is a mother there to sing that song, to celebrate whatever. But also it also just gives really strong context to the fact that so often these are the messages that people are hearing, right? Is as you're saying, like people who don't take up space, like one story that came to my mind is I have, I have five-year-old twins. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I was pregnant with my twins, I turned to my husband one night and I was like, do you want, are like, are you in the mood to go for ice cream? And he was like, no, I'm not like, I'm just like, you're out. No, like, I don't really want ice cream right now. And I was like, oh, okay. And I left the room and this was five years ago. And I came mm -hmm. back into the room, like bawling like a child and was mm -hmm. like, this is just who are you who doesn't take their pregnant wife for ice cream I have two of your babies in my stuff like you know like going off on like a whole and he's like I have no idea what's happening right now but like you frame the question as like do I want ice cream right now and the answer was like not really like, if you were like I would love some ice cream right now do you want to go with me I would have obviously said yes like nobody turns down a woman for ice cream and like definitely not if she's pregnant but like you didn't frame that as Mm -hmm. I wasn't very receptive to it in the moment either because I mean it was ice cream, you know, I was pregnant. Yeah. Um, but I think that's like that sort of illustration is in so many of the ways where we're conditioned. Like if he was in the mood, and obviously I've done my own work in the last five years around yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but you know, if he was in the mood for ice cream, then like, okay, let's go. But like I did I didn't even frame the question as this is what I would like. In yes. Right? Yes. And I think what you gave as an example is such a powerful example of why it's important to be explicit. Yeah. With what we want. Yeah. We so often will do exactly what you did. It's like, would you like this thing? And when the person says, no, I'm not into that. We never said, I would really like this thing. Would you be willing yeah. to do this thing just because I want it? Yeah. Right? That just because I want it is our hesitancy to take up space, which again, in a culture where it was literally dangerous to our physical self, yeah, to, to our physical, emotional, professional, all our different lives to take up space, of course we would have that fear. So I just want to normalize this totally. fear is not ungrounded, yeah, but we still have to work through it yeah, in order to overcome it. Yeah. yeah. He was like, do you want some ice cream now? I'll, just, I'll go get you the ice cream. I'll leave. I'll go. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's something that for sure, you know, so many so many women struggle with. Um, and I think it's, it's one thing, especially for people to think about maybe not being comfortable doing that or comfortable taking up space or feeling like that's, you know, quote unquote allowed, mm -hmm. um, in maybe, you know, corporate spaces mm -hmm. or when we talk about structures, right. Like, mm -hmm. like outside of the home. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I think it's such a real point that is that, we sometimes we and and the, the you know places where we grow up even in our like safe spaces mm -hmm. right um even in in marriages or in partnerships that seem to be functioning like well-ish mm -hmm. right these things can definitely still be throwing a wrench in the whole situation I think they come up all the time and it's this this era that we're living in now where it's also like what is my role as a woman what is yeah. my my husband or my partner's role if you're a woman married to a woman like what are our roles to each other yeah, totally and it's like there is no neat 
blueprint yeah. to follow. Yeah. We have to make it up as we go along. Yeah. And the blueprints that we have followed in the past don't never worked and certainly don't work now. Yeah. And so that's why all the conversations we can have of just telling someone, listen, don't worry about what it looks like. Focus on how it feels. Totally. If it works totally. for you, it works for you. That's the only thing that matters. So yes. So we have like, again, our yeah. children, are, we have three under five. Okay. Um, and I like love being the one who picks them up from school at the end of the day. Like I love, like we are, we, my husband and I would fall into what would be more typical, like gender yeah. roles. Mm-hmm. And there was so much that I had to wrangle with around that because it felt good to me. Like, I'm like, I love being able to be the one who's like, like more, you know, I'm in, in this space of our lives, I am creating more freedom to be around for them more. And he is at work. And I'm like, what does that originally? I was like, what does that mean about me as a feminist? And what is that? And I'm like, am I being disloyal to yes, the feminist yes. cause? Right. Totally. Like that's a real totally. thing. I have coached on that before where it's like, I want these things. I want to have a home and I don't know, make it feel homey. And like, what? Yeah. it's like, it, have I done something wrong? And my answer to that is always the whole point of any kind of liberation is to liberate you. Exactly, yes. Is, is whatever means something to you. Like the whole point is you having a choice to do whatever the heck you want and whatever that looks like for yes. you, including all of these totally. things, right? Totally. And, but it is a mind bender because then we feel guilty about wanting that or not wanting something quote unquote bigger because yeah. our society tells us that the things that you love to doing, which is like, picking them up from school is somehow smaller, which is all yeah. a lie. And it's like, right. what could Stop be more valuable? Small. What could be more valuable, more important, more loving and more kind than picking your kids up from school? Like as a person, as a human on earth who grew up without a dad, yeah, never once picked me up from school. I can tell you the enormous magnitude that picking them up from school has, yeah. you know, as a loving connection with your family, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think this idea that it's like, we get to want what we want is really important. Yeah. And I, I love that you, you had shared last week on Facebook and yeah. I had just watched the, yeah. the JLo documentary. Yes. And I loved that being able to see like the, the difference. And I mean, obviously JLo and I are in, in completely different spheres. Um, but you know, like she travels a ton for work, right? She's probably yeah. away from her kids for days at a time, weeks at a time, whatever that looks like. Yeah. And she's like doing her thing in life and she is killing it. And she is like setting examples for all of us and setting beautiful examples for her kid. Like, and my life looks the way that it, and it feels really great to me. And I feel like I am setting examples for my kids and being able to do like being able to see all of these different options and be like, there is no wrong way to do this. There is, you get to decide. Yes. First of all, I love there is no wrong way to do this. This is something that I say all the time. And JLo is such an interesting example because I think she's both a human and an archetype. Yeah. And if so, she has a, a documentary called Halftime on Netflix for anyone who's listening is not you aware. Definitely watch it if you haven't. You definitely watch it. Be prepared to cry and like scream and all the things. All the things. I cried twice. Okay. So the reason I say she's a human and an archetype is one of the moments in the in the at the very end, they put all of her accomplishments and she's yeah. like been in movies that have made billions of dollars and she yeah. sold millions of albums. And she's like done all of these things as a professional in the industries in which she participates. And yet the press 
focuses on her love life. Yes. And to me, it's such an archetype of how women are very often, not always, but how very often they're treated where we can have these incredible accomplishments where we do amazing, impossible things and we pull them off. And then people will notice like our haircut. Yes. Right. Or the outfit that we're wearing. Is that happening? It's right. It's like, oh, the outfits that they're wearing or do they look cuddly or do they look friendly? It's like, she's going to run, right? Like, like, it's like, do I want to hug her? It's like, uh, she's going to run a multi-million dollar corporation or, uh, you know, a city that has a budget of like a hundred million dollars. She doesn't need your hug. You don't need a hug. (laughs) Does she know math? Right. Like, like, does she understand compound interest? Like there's other things we want her to know. (laughs) Right. But it's like, I think JLo really, in that way, I'm so glad that she shared these pieces of her story because to me, as a woman and a Latina woman who in all the studies and all that, like Latina women make less money than yeah. so many people. Yeah. It's just like, oh, we're just in a society that the way we change the way society perceives us is by having conversations like this, calling it all out, calling it all, all out on about each other, on each other, with each other and saying, hey, we want something different. Yeah. Let's notice that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think that's like the permission to notice and want something different is huge. Yeah. Just feeling like you have that space to even be able to be like, what do I want? And this is why we come back to the idea of taking up space, being at the core of so many other things, because it's like permission to want something different. I will not give myself that permission if I don't believe I am allowed to take up space. Yeah. And to trust yourself that you aren't wrong for that. Yeah. Right. I think it was on like Cara Lowenthal's podcast. I think that she said that she always asks, um, you know, like women, what do you want? And they're like, I don't know. And she follows up with the question like, okay, but if you did know, and she said, she remembers like one instance where somebody had like a very specific dream to be like a kind of marine biologist. It was like something very specific. And all she had to be given was the the permission to know. Yes. The permission to want it. Yeah, it was like wholly impractical or like didn't, you know, didn't make any sense. And like, how often do we go out of our way to do things for other people that are wholly impractical or don't make any sense? But when it's for us, we're like, I couldn't want that. It's not like within my, you know, that would put someone out. That is so important. And something I talk about a lot is you're allowed to want things. Yeah. And giving yourself, even in the privacy of your own brain, or even in the privacy of with you and your coach or with you and who, your friends or whatever, allowing yourself to want things, even if you're not going to go after them. Yeah. Just being in the experience of the wanting of it. Yeah. And I always give this example whenever I talk about this, because I think it's just fun, but it's just to give you a really vivid idea. So I grew up in Miami and in Miami, um, Gloria Stefan. Yeah. I grew up with her music. It's like the soundtrack of my life, all the things. Yeah. And I'm like, I would love to have like lemonade at Gloria Stefan's house. I think it would be delightful. Yeah. I think it'd be so much fun. It'd be amazing. And I want that. Now, I'm not going to go stalk her or anything. Right, right? right? I just allow myself to think, oh, that would be such a fun time. We would laugh so hard. It would be just so cool. Right. And I think about it as a, a way of accessing my own wanting. Yeah. And then there's other things that you want and you act on. And there's things that you want and you don't have to act on. Right. You want to just 
practice wanting and building your wanting muscles so you can be in connection with your own desires. Yeah. And so often, I mean, I give this example in like so many different places, but if you don't feel, so, I mean, I like working in the picky eating space is actually oddly very similar to like a lot of how I, I coach, um, you know, women now is like, I always say like, like I going skydiving is not a place that I would ever want to go. I'm just like, I'm not, I'm like totally afraid of heights. I'm like mm-hmm. skydiving, not. So like, where do I, where would I say no? If somebody asked me to go skydiving, it would be like sitting in my house. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I don't want to do that today. Right. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't get in the car and I probably wouldn't go to the place. And I probably wouldn't get into the plane because those seem like places where I'm already too far in mm-hmm. to then grapple with like the feelings that would come up if I did want to, or didn't want to. And I think that's where so many women find themselves. They're like, it's easier to just say no at the outset. Nope, I can't want it. I can't explore it. I can't think about it because then it actually opens up. Okay, well, what would I have to do? And who would I have to reckon with? And who might I disappoint? And what would I have to feel? And all of those things. If I did decide that thing that I wanted was something I was going to go for. I think that's so important. The way you described it is so powerful because- what I see a lot because I do marriage work is women who say, but if I say what I wanted, would I stay married? Yeah. And a genuine fear of like, if I actually said what I actually wanted and I'm like, yeah, but if you can't say what you want, should you yeah. be married? <laughs> right? Right. Like the, uh, the opposite of that is like, yeah. hold on a second. Um, because I've read so much about marriage and it's something that I you know, have given so much thought to, it's like a healthy thriving marriage that feels delicious, like a sanctuary is good yeah. for your health, helps you live longer, is like amazing. But a marriage that is just drenched in stress yeah. and strife is actually bad for your health, cuts years from your life, is actually yeah. bad for you. So I am very much of the mindset of we have to find the place where we can say what we want so we can move towards thriving in our life, whatever yeah. that may look like, even though the middle is uncomfortable and feels like crap. Yeah, and it's just cultivating that safety to be able to get through that yeah middle piece which is where yeah. where so many of you know support yeah. comes in and coaching and your coaching that you do with people because for sure I think the answer for a lot of people also is like well if you can never get to a point where you can say what you want like will you stay married right like the, the answer probably is actually flipped like yeah. I think that for so many of of like myself included if I never got to a point where I did the internal work to to cultivate that safety of like being able to say my own needs being able mm-hmm. to be heard be seen be like understood mm-hmm. in a marriage I don't know that that would be a person I'd be with at, at 90 years old right and that's yeah. not even about them that's about me yeah totally yeah so many so many great things and we didn't even get to Bridgerton okay Bridgerton we have to have a Bridgerton moment let's do it it's just it's just like I it's my favorite it's my favorite and then seeing them out and about the truth is like seeing all the characters oh my god they're real they're in they're in my space they're in life they're so fun like sometimes I think that I've grown past like being a 13 year old girl and then these things happen and I'm like no no I'm still there still there yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so everyone listening to the podcast is not going to see this because you can't see us, but I'm going to show you. I saw your Instagram thing and then I put on my Bridgerton t shirt for our interview just for you, Ahuva. Just you. for you. 
Um, so no, we have not moved past it. I have bought the t-shirts. <laughs> We're in it. The best. I know. And now, now whenever I see Serena Hicks on Facebook yeah. also, I'm like, the fact that everyone is just representing Bridgerton is just like, it feels so like fun. the best time to be alive. It's so fun. And I'll tell you, I read the books when they first came out. So it's yeah. like 20 years ago. Yeah. And I remember reading them and they, they have a lot of witty banter. They're, they're similar to the show, but also different. And I remember thinking, why doesn't somebody make a movie out of this? Why yeah. doesn't, why doesn't this come on to you? Like, this would be so much fun to watch on TV. Why isn't this? And this is another example of like the romance genre as a genre is one of the most profitable multi-billion dollar businesses yeah that is often quote unquote discounted in for example um hollywood or the people who make movies and tv shows because those people largely up until the present have been men yeah okay? and yeah. so what happens is shonda rhimes comes along and says this is phenomenal we're, we're making this or so yeah. a woman is like women are gonna be into this this is gonna make you money netflix people are gonna subscribe yeah. and of course it becomes like one of their number one shows so I think about the story of Bridgerton and I really love the story and the characters but I also think about what Bridgerton is in our larger uh, world and yeah. there's so many pieces of Bridgerton that I deeply deeply appreciate in that larger world totally that and that was like in the you know the, the yeah. JLo documentary also yeah. when they were talking about hustlers and they were like yes. movie told from a female perspective like yeah. you know sort of like the a, a story we've seen 10,000 times probably from a male perspective and they were like trust me like you want to make this movie yes and time and again what like you know when people actually speak up in those spaces and are like no this is actually what we want yes you you see those results coming out for sure I love it well Maggie thank you for taking the time to be with me today there's like so much that still I feel like in five hours I'm gonna be messaging you what could I have this thought about this oh my goodness um, but for, you know, for people who want to find out more about your incredible work and, and the things you're doing, where can they find you? Absolutely. So you can find me at MaggieReyes.com where everything that I'm ever up to will always be on there. And then if you're on Instagram, you can come to the Maggie Reyes and follow me there. And I'd love to see. You. Amazing. Yeah. Maggie, thank you. Thank you for having me. So much fun. So much fun. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Growing Empowered Eaters. Before you go, remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Leave us a five-star review and take a screenshot and send it to me over on Instagram and my handle at ahuva, A-H-U-V-A-R-D, so that I can say a proper thank you for joining me on this mission to Growing Empowered Eaters.